Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, we're now well into the series on uh, property core skills. We've covered off our first one uh, over the last uh, the first couple of weeks of the uh, series, which was finding deals. And now we're into the second one, which is finding funds. And last week, of course, was what I call content week because it was just me and this week, I'm joined by some friends in my community and contacts, and it's uh, it's a panel discussion. And inevitably, as these things go with the Property Voice podcast in particular, the panel discussion was a little bit longer this week. So it was a little bit borderline last time out, but I managed to squeeze it into one episode. Hopefully, you managed to listen to that in one sitting. But if not, maybe the dog did, did an extra couple of laps around the block. Or you did an extra couple of laps around the block yourself if you perhaps got your gym shoes on or something. But this week, um, yeah, it was going to be stretching it a little bit. So what I've decided to do is make it a two-parter. So we're going to have two part one this week and we're going to pick it up clearly with part two next week. So in terms of finding funds, I kind of framed things last time out by, by saying we're going to look at three distinct areas, which is institutional finance, alternative finance and creative finance. And this week, obviously, we'll focus primarily on the institutional and some of the alternative. And we're going to get through, you know, quite an interesting array of topics. We can talk about some buy-to-let mortgages, some um, bridging finance, some development finance. And then we're going to start to look at, you know, some more alternative financial structures and deal structuring, really, in terms of joint ventures or private loans or even land joint ventures. Um, you know, so that a hybrid, if you like, in that sense. So, I've got, the, I've got the panel with me this week. They will introduce themselves for you in a second. We'll cover off the main topics and then I'll do a quick wrap at the end and then we'll key you in for next week, hopefully. So enjoy. So um, I think what the best thing to do is we've got, we've got Bronwyn, we've got Nana, we've got Dominic and we've got Anthony, um, who hopefully we're going to make this quite a healthy, lively, vibrant conversation. And what I suggest we start with is just a quick introduction, actually, from each one of you. And I'll probably give you a clue to a running order if you'd like to follow that, unless anybody would like to dive in and just uh, steal a march. So who'd like to go first and just give a quick introduction? I'll go, I'll go first. Um, my name's Bronwyn Burncombe. Ladies first. There we go. Um, Bronwyn Burncombe. I'm a property investor from Hampshire. So I invest in Southampton, Portsmouth, Winchester, Andover. Um, I started investing in property about um, eight years ago now. Um, and I had been a banker, so I was a career banker in the rat race. Property enabled me to escape and through various different strategies, um, I've been able to, to get the freedom to do other things. So the other things that I do is um, I travel the world now, um, but I wrote a book. I wrote a book which published last year, and that's called Building Your Dream Life. Um, and Building Your Dream Life is all about how I escaped that rat race and what it was that I did and my 
top tips and my case studies da da so if anyone's interested yeah that's a really good book but i'm really pleased to be here because i've used so many different financing strategies uh, along the way because i you know i escaped pretty quickly within two years so i had to use different financing opportunities so looking forward to sharing those with you thanks bronwyn brilliant and uh, yeah we'll, we'll probably probably link to your book in the show notes as well so cool. if anybody would like to do that so thanks for sharing so um thank you Roman who's who's up next then I'm going next Richard go for it Dominic yeah my name's Dominic uh, I've been a property investor for um about four or five years now since 2017 I think um well that's when I first started investing seriously I guess before that I was an accidental landlord um so I've a small smallish portfolio mostly buy to lets HMOs and serviced accommodation um, and my financing for those has mostly been a combination of um, self-funding, um, some investors, and also uh, well, JV partners, a couple of JV partners on a few deals. Thanks, Dominic. That's great. Uh, short and sweet, as I was expecting. Um, who's up next? I'll go. Um, so I'm Anthony Boyce. I'm uh, based in the northeast of England, uh, Darlington to be exact. It's um, hot, hot market here at the moment with all the news. Um, so what do I do? I'm uh, an architectural designer. I, I own my own business. I'm a network um, host for a, the Property Thing Networking Group. Um, I've, I've been doing the architectural stuff for about 19 years, but only investing for probably just coming up to six now. Um, and I've, through that time, I've used my own funds, uh, run out of my own funds, and then had to be a bit more creative with other people's funds. So, yeah, I've, uh, in six years, I've gone from uh, buy-to-let through, I think, as other people have said, SA, HMO, and just coming towards commercial conversions and using larger chunks of uh, other people's and uh, creative ways of funding deals anyway. So uh, hopefully I can add something. I'm sure you can i'm sure you can and you know, I, I understand that your architectural pra- practice is about to take off is that right <laughs> well it's called rocket <laughs> rocket architectural design but no it's uh, it's going well at the moment we're we're moving office tomorrow um i've gone from sort of my bedroom just before lockdown to we're on uh, me and two other staff now so looking to recruit still so no it's uh, yeah it's it's taking off it's going well so far long may continue Good. I, you forgot to mention the firm, so it was just my my you know way. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not very good at the promotional stuff. <laughs> no, fine. And by the way, that's a really good networking meeting. If anybody's looking to, uh, to are you doing them face to face now? By the way, we well we were. Um, what are we at? The eighth of July, but obviously Boris Johnson has uh, has put the skids on that for the moment. So no, we'd be probably August now. August. Yeah, as soon as, as soon as we're allowed. Every time we sort of mention we're going to do one. Um, the, the the government locked down the country, so <laughs> I'm just going to keep yeah. shum until August now. <laughs> Don't say anything, please. No, no, no. So yeah, the property thing up in Darlington is a good is a good prop, uh, networking meeting. I can vouch for that. So um, check that out, everybody. And and we must you know give Nana a warm welcome. Come on, Nana. Don't be shy. <laughs> So, yeah, my name is Nana, as Richard mentioned. Uh, I'm based in Sweden, uh, but invest in UK. I really don't have any, like, area area because we have our rent-to-rents in Swansea, uh, HMOs, three. And then we have, uh, we're trying to complete, or they're in legals, 
one in Sheffield and one in uh, Leeds by Telets. And we have done uh, one flip. So we really tried everything, I guess, uh, in the lower level and trying to reach up. Beside that, I'm still stuck in the rat race. I'm not as uh, free as Richard and Bronwyn is, <laughs> but I'm uh, hoping that I'm uh, getting there. Beside that, I also have a podcast with my fiance. Uh, that it's called Pena Flood Podcast. So it's in Swedish, but we in- oh. interview uh, English guests. So Richard, I've been on it. It was a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I have two lovely daughters. That's me. Well, you can't have enough uh, lovely women in your life, Nana. <laughs> normally actually jump in, well, at least one of them's jumping all over you when you do, when we're having our meeting. So um, I think Emily's making sure that she's uh, well looked after today, I guess, right? Yeah, so she's calm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so that's really great. So we've got, you've probably got a bit of context now, everybody. We've got, you know, um, people towards the beginning. I wouldn't quite say you're a beginner, Nana, to be honest with you. Um, but, you know, and people who are further down the line, people who've done different things, um, you know, in terms of finding funds. So hopefully a good, you know, basis for a conversation. So with that in mind, I kind of set, set things up with the episode, which would have gone to air just before we did this panel discussion. And I asked everybody if they'd listened to it beforehand, and they all lied and said yes. But um, actually, uh, thank you for doing that. That was a, that was really nice of you to endure. I mean, yeah, endure listening to me. Um, so, but I kind of was setting up to frame it that the way I look at finance is is in three broad categories, um, which is what I call institutional finance. Some might call it more traditional financing. Um, then we've got alternative financing. And finally, we've got creative financing. And, and the broad difference being traditional or institutional is what everybody knows about. It's the banks, it's the high streets, it's the mainstream lenders. Um, you know, you might have heard of bought up buy to mortgages, you might have a residential mortgage, but we kind of can expand on that a little bit. And then I think it was Anthony who was saying, when you run out of your own money, um, then perhaps you look at alternative sources. And so alternative usually means coming from an alternative channel, an alternative means. It could look like financing, but maybe comes from a different place. And then um, I guess the third category is what I call creative finance. And it's not what Enron does. It's actually, you know, using contractual structures to um, mimic what financing looks like in many ways. So financing to me is all about deferring payment or getting some sort of financial contribution from a third party to your property investing activities. So it's a very broad definition, and which is why, Bronwyn, I couldn't resist. I'm going to have to plug it. The book, The Complete Guide to Property Finance, um, actually, spoiler alert, it has over 50 different um, financing techniques mentioned in it. So there we go. I couldn't help myself. I had to mention it. Uh, but I'll probably try and shut up mentioning the book now. But apart from the three broad categories, which we're going to get into, there's probably different approaches that we might consider, depending on maybe our level of experience, maturity, our level of funding to begin with. Uh, and what we do or don't know, and who we don't, do and don't know. So let's get into the conversation. Maybe we'll just start us off. So if we start with looking at more institutional financing, traditional financing, you know, is that where most people began kind of buy-to-let mortgages? And if so, have people ventured a little bit further, let's say, into bridging finance or development finance? What's people's experience in that particular area? 
Um, I've got, yeah, I started with keeping it simple, really. I think when you're starting out, it's, it's um, you know, you don't really know what you don't know. And I think if you get a good education, that's really important. But finding, you know, finding that first deal, that first, um, that first mortgage is what it's all about, really. And then once you've got that first mortgage under your belt, you know, most lenders say, well, you're experienced now. So, so you can start to shop around a bit more and, and you can find that rates, rates vary. And, you know, if you've got a good broker as well, this network that you must have and you build that up over time, then definitely, you know, you start to recognise that there are different ways of, of funding. So, yeah, starting off, that's what I always recommend. Start off with, with something fairly simple and straightforward, um, but of course, you know, sometimes your money doesn't stretch to beyond one if, you, <laughs> if you're like me. So it's really, you know, you've got to start looking at alternatives fairly quickly. Um, yeah, so we can talk about those later, but someone else might want to mention their experience. We might get into the alternative and creative pretty quickly here because, um, especially with the crowd around the table, but I just wanted to dwell on one, well, two things actually you said, Bronwyn, and, and it doesn't, we don't all have to, you know, jump into every single comment, by the way, but two things I thought were really relevant with what you just said. One, you, everything what you said was relevant, but two, I want to highlight, which was the fact of experience and, um, you know, lenders, you know, look for landlord experience often, especially if you want to get more advanced levels of financing. So sometimes you just need that buy to let under your belt, um, you know, before you can, you know, move on to the next one. So that's the first, you know, key observation you definitely made there that I wanted to dwell on. And the second thing was the value of a broker. And, you know, a lot of people try and do it themselves. Um, but I don't know what you found, Bronwyn, you know, is, uh, do you think, do you think a broker is uh, is worth paying for? Uh, definitely. Um, definitely is. You know, and I, I think, you know, my advice to the people that I, that I teach is really about trying to find somebody that is perhaps also an investor themselves. So I'm not talking about someone on the high street here. I'm talking about someone that's got whole of market, um, ideally. Um, and if they're also an investor, they understand the language, they understand the different mechanisms. Whereas if you went to a high street, you know, through the estate agent, you know, they just know what they get commissioned for. <laughs> they probably don't have any experience themselves. So, you know, shop around. There are plenty of different people out there and get, get someone that's uh, recommended, perhaps with a, from another investor. Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you. Um, so what about the the other guys then, really? So what about bridging finance? What about development finance? Anybody looked into those sort of in this area of, you know, institutional financing? Yeah. So uh, we we do like uh, Ron mentioned, we took uh, the alternative first. We bought our first one with just cash uh, investors. And then now, two years later, it's the first time we're taking bridge. So we really hadn't done the normal buy-to-let route. We we started with the more advanced things. But uh, yeah, it's it's a learning curve. But you've taken bridging finance now, yeah? Yeah, now, yeah. Okay, so what kind of project was that, if you don't mind me asking? So that, that's a uh, buy-to-let, normal buy-to-let. So instead of us buying just one property, we will buy two properties so so money can go further. And you're using bridging finance for what reason? Yeah, because otherwise our money would run out if we just did one deal. Uh, okay. 
so now we can do two instead with the deposit. So will you refinance them later or something? Yeah, to a buy to let. Yeah. So to get into the deal, presumably you're adding value or you've got some sort of discount that you can realize, which yeah. is presumably why you want to take bridging finance. I'm actually trying to eke out what the purpose of bridging finance would be. It's a fairly <laughs> short-term arrangement, um, especially with the cost of uh, borrowing on a bridging finance. But just one thing on bridging is, you know, people do get a bit hung up about the interest rate perhaps on bridging finance. But if you think of it as just the, the short-term cost of doing business where you can perhaps add some value or um, realise a discount or potentially both, uh, on your project, project, then you know bridging has got a place, and obviously it means you don't have to use all of your own cash, as you were saying, Anna. Yeah, and the opportunity we 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 have to figure that thing, uh, put that thing as well. The the opportunity to do two projects at the same time rather than doing one and waiting. So I mean, it's the speed as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's a term I use, deal velocity. It's just the you know recycling of your cash. If you can get in and out of projects, if you can spread your cash across multiple projects, it allows you to do more with less. That's right, isn't it? More with less. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and Anthony, I'm looking at you really because I know that you're into some more kind of conversion slash development style projects. Have you got involved in any of the sort of upper end of the scale, you know, either bridging or development finance type of structures? Um, we're just well. We, we haven't got to the signing of the paperwork stages yet, but we're we're in the process. And like Nana's just said, there, there's uh, a deal came along. We needed to pay for it. We had another one in the pipeline already, and it was the opportunity cost. So we, we kind of, in order to uh, to get both deals, one is a, a commercial conversion, the other one uh, a buy to let refurb. Um, we ended up sort of buying one with cash. We're then going to apply for bridging so that we can then fund the uh, the refurb on on the buy to let basically so as you say deal velocity it just it just makes sense rather than leaving chunks of cash tied up not having the money to do these things it's uh, it just keeps the keeps the snowball rolling really um, in terms of other stuff we've not had to use development finance yet we've been quite fortunate with uh, with investors which which is brilliant um, but. It, it will be coming very soon. Uh, there's a there's a couple of deals we're doing which, uh, yeah, they're just a bit bigger than we used to. So, yeah, we, we need uh, we we need extra funds that yeah development finance will sort for us. Well, it's interesting that I, I don't know if anybody anybody here on the, on the panel has used development finance from an from an institution. Have you anybody? Yeah, well, Bronwyn has. Yeah. Okay, Dom, Bronwyn, just bring coming back into that. So, if you've used development finance. Well, mm. Us a, just give us a quick snapshot what you did and what what the sort of yeah. broad term would you yes um so we bought a commercial property with land we um got planning permission for um eight houses on the car park so phase one we got investors to invest um for a fair amount of it and we did a jv with a builder so you know there's a combination of strategies here jv with the builder meant that the build cost was kept um at cost um but what we needed to do was to fund that build and pay the cost to the builder so you know that that we went traditional route we did shop around a little bit we we certainly would probably go down a slightly different route next time um but 
we we had them ready to sell a year ago last March, and we all know what happened last March. Um, the show home was beautiful, but no one could go and view view it. So we've 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 actually um, ended up having to pay a huge amount of interest on our development loan. And I know if I'd gone with a certain other crowd lender, we may have had a bit more flexibility there. Um, but anyway, yes, we've uh, we've paid that off now. Luckily, we've got two that are just just going through. The last two are just going through conveyancing, which has taken forever. But that's another story. Um, yeah. So development finance didn't enjoy it. Not flexible. Huge huge fees on rolling over because we had no choice. Um, and I would certainly not go with them in the future, I'm afraid. Well, it's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I think development finance through an institution. Um, so what I'm talking about here is, you know, people you could just Google and you'd find them, right? Um, so rather than it being a friend or, you know, uh, or even, a, you know, a crowdfunding platform that you're kind of alluding to, um, although that's borderline either way. But it's um, it's it's complex, right? And there's there's uh, you know a lot of you need experience to to get the development finance, but you can't get the development finance until you've got the experience. So it seems a bit of a chicken and egg situation. Um, I found that myself when I was stepping out into development finance. I was like, oh, could you give me some development finance, please? And they said, have you got any experience of a development exactly looking like the one you've just done? I said, well, that's the first time I've ever done it. So we'll come back when you've done one, and we might talk to you. And I was like. Uh, okay, thanks for that. That was not very helpful. Um, and then when you do start talking to them, it's like, okay, so um, we're going to send our QS round um, every every time you want some money. And by the way, you're going to pay for that uh, that privilege. So you know it, the fees are eye watering as well. Um, so you know, I think just to paint the true picture, I think accessing development finance as a newbie is tough. And also um, the level of fees and costs involved can, as you, you experience, probably by the sound of it, uh, not just the interest costs if, it, if you roll over, but all the fees going into it, perhaps coming out of it, uh, perhaps, you know, quantifying the, the works before the monies are released to the builder. And by the way, they control who the builder is. Um, so you can't just use your mate round the corner necessarily um, with an institution because they'll say, well, they don't have the right level of, you know, track record themselves. So it, it, it is, you know, it's good to have access to development finance, but there's a lot of restrictions. And that perhaps is maybe suggesting why many of the people around this table have gone away from that institutional sort of route, perhaps. I don't know. But um, so look, why, don't we, why don't we pick that up then? So what are the alternative route? Oh, Nana, you want to come back with that? I have a question regarding that. So, what do you suggest people? When should when should uh, like uh, developers or investors use development finance? Is it like a, do you like have a cap or should it be? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the sort of the um, I'm going to steal ideas from bigger brains than myself. But, um, you know, people who tell me uh, there was Piragash who we had on the podcast a couple of years ago. And we've got Alice Williams, who, you know, has given me some advice recently. So I'm just going to pick on those two. And Piragash basically says development uh, development is defined where you're substantially altering the, the structure of the land or the property. So it's in excess of 40%, you know, you know, cost on top of the value of the land or the property would be where you start to step into development finance. Now, usually there's like 
rule, you know, th- these rules are not hard and fast. They kind of can flex, but there's a substantial amount of value that you're sinking into the project, you know, rather than doing a refurb. You know, if you're doing a refurb, you might be spending 10, 20, 30% of the property value on the refurbishment. But if you're changing, you know, if you're building something from the ground up or if you're converting something from, you know, one use to another use, that would be where development finance kind of kicks in. That's the first thing. The second thing, though, would be what um, Alice was saying. She, she's she got a good way of explaining things. And, and one of the things I picked up from her was um, the idea of experience again. So we talk about experience. So and I, I, the problem I found is, you know, I'm an experienced investor uh, and I'm an, I was an experienced, um, I'd done conversions and, 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 you know, BRR style projects and things like that before I had my first development project. But I had my first development project and the institutions wouldn't look at me, you know, particularly. And so what Alice says is some, you know, experience is relevant, you know, when you go for institutional development finance, but you can borrow the experience. And that's the term she used, borrowed experience. And I thought that was that was really handy because you can borrow the experience by maybe buddying up. So it could be with uh, another investor who's got the experience. It could be a builder who's got the experience. Um, you could have the uh, borrowed experience from the team that you're working with so that you lean more on them rather than yourself. And you go, well, actually, I've got all these professionals working with me. So um, that's the, they're the sort of main ways in which you can borrow the experience and perhaps gain access to development finance even if your own developer CV doesn't suggest that you have the track record to qualify. So thanks for the question, Nana. Um, That's what I would say. Um, But the good news is, and this is where I'm going to queue you up, really, um, even though the the bloody, I mean, the lenders wouldn't um, entertain the idea of development finance with me, there were some private individuals and alternative platforms that, you know, were happy to go, well, Richard, you look like a decent guy. You've got, you know, all this experience, all these uh, properties behind you. As long as you do it right, yeah, we'll back you. And so that took me into more the alternative financing stream. That's where I want to go now with a part of the conversation. So I think basically, if you've got a good broker, whether it's for buy to let or bridging or development finance, go and talk to them. They'll probably tell you much more than certainly I could. I can't speak for everybody on the panel. Um, But what we can probably take us down now is looking at alternative forms of financing. So that's, um, it, it looks and feels like finance, but perhaps it comes from an alternative source. So who'd like to talk about what they've done in that area? And Dominic, we haven't really got much from you so far. So why don't we get you, get you starting us off here, if that's okay? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I've, uh, on one project, I had uh, funding from an investor. Um so a loan of about, I think it's 50,000, if I remember rightly, um, to help refurb, uh, purchase and refurb um, a property. Um, so obviously that was a short-term loan, higher rates than you might get from a bank, but obviously a lot easier to, to access. Um, and then as well as that, I've used JV partners as well. Um, so I've gone in 50-50 on some projects, uh, quite a few projects naturally, with a couple of JV partners. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, as well as institutional investment, those those two have been my main um, sources of finance. Was what you, something you said there actually really resonated with me. You said easier to access. So what do you mean by that? Um, well, it, the, the lender was someone within my network. So um, obviously someone who knew my track record and trusted me. Um, so basically based on yeah, my, my past history, um, they were willing to, 
uh, to loan me the money, not not without um, kind of any security in place, obviously, but it was a lot less security than I would have got, um, you know, from a bank or uh, from a bridging lender or anything like that. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so um, access access to a network um, of yes. people. And, and by the way, I, I guess it wasn't computer says no. Yeah, exactly. So, it, yeah, it's, it's pretty, uh, more straightforward, yeah. More straightforward. Any other benefits you can think of? Um, in, in what respect? Well, was it quicker? Was it you know? Was oh yeah, it's definitely much quicker. Definitely much quicker. Definitely less paperwork. Yeah, I mean, I've had mortgages like just by collect mortgages, which have taken months and months to complete, and this is obviously like I don't know, a couple of weeks. You know, so it's a lot simpler. Yeah. So that's that was um, focusing more on that sort of more private loan by sound. Yes. Like Okay. Indeed, yeah. And then you also said you've done some joint ventures. Yes, I've done some joint ventures with um, a couple of the uh, business partners. So we've basically gone in 50-50 on um, a number of projects now. Um, so again, that's people within my network, um, family and, and work colleagues, basically, with my day job. So they, mm-hmm. again, know what I do, look, looked at past projects and track record, um, and have agreed yeah, to, to go in uh, on a project and on a yeah, 50-50 kind of split basis on uh, profit and on expenses. Okay. Sounds good. I, I probably want to get into maybe some of the detail of like how you found those people to invest with you. But before we do, let's probably just bring everybody else into the conversation and just sure. get through, um, in terms of alternative financing, you know, what, what have other people done? Have you done same, similar things to Dominic or, or different things? You don't need permission now. No, go for it. He's putting his hand up. He's so polite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we uh, actually, the flip we did, we structured it as a JV. So uh, the person came in with the funds and uh, we said uh, he will get 30% of the profit of the sale price. Then. And then afterwards, it's now gone on to a private loan. And uh, now it was, the term was, as long as we're not in a project, uh, you won't get no interest. So we really structured really good uh, on afterwards. <laughs> so you've done uh, like a joint venture. You managed to get kind of payment, uh, almost like a facility by the sound of it. So yeah. you would pay when you actually use the money in a project. Is that, is that yeah. about right? Yeah. That's how we, because we're not doing flips at the moment, or we wasn't, who knows, with this current market, but we wasn't. Uh, And then we said, okay, so do you still want to invest with us? And he said, yes. But then now we will need to, yeah, when we find a project, then your money will will start working. Otherwise, and he said, it's fine, because he made a a lot of profit on the other one. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay, and so uh, Anthony, you're off. You're off mute, so you're poised. Um, fill us in. Yeah, well, we've, we've um, just in the in the midst of trying to set up something creative with uh, with with an owner. Um, so it's a it's a commercial conversion again. It's already got planning. He's sorted that out. It's already got building regs actually as well. Um, the guy, the owner, is is a bit of a uh, a developer handyman himself. Um, so we, we've gone in and said, look, you know, at the end of the day, we're after 
20, 30% profit so that we can refinance at the end onto a traditional you know, commercial uh, mortgage. We're going to run these as serviced accommodation. Um, so you know, that's how much we're going to make four times however many flats, uh, or sorry, four, four times flats. This is how much our development costs we reckon are. Um, so this is how much we can afford, you know, after our profit, this is how much we can afford to pay you. So he's, he's happy with that. And even during the conversation, he's actually said, well, I don't actually need the money now. Um, so, you know, we can, we can discuss that at a later time. So we're actually setting up an SPV at the moment, a JV, uh, between us all, um, or will be, uh, where basically his shares are, um, paid off at the end of the project. So once the finance is, is gone, he gets his percentage plus, well, basically a percentage of whatever the, uh, the, the re-val is, um, he sells off into the sunset and, uh, we, we keep them long-term, um. So that, that's one of the more creative ones we've done um, so far anyway. That's like what a property slash landowner joint venture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As I say, just um, keeping him in the deal as, as, as long as he needs to. Um, just so it's it, well, basically the, the, the benefit of doing that is there's no charge on the property. Um, so by bringing him into the SPV, the company owns the property. We can then apply for development finance or bridging or whatever else, um, because they're going to want the first charge on the property. So it just has uh, a, a massive benefit when it comes to, to funding the development, really. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask you. So the actual development costs themselves, you're going to be funding through some form of financial structure, are you? Exactly, yeah. So as you've pointed out, we'll have fees and legals and this, that and the other to, to pay. Um, but ultimately, it's, it's, it's going to, with cash flow from other things, it's, it's going to be a, a relatively low money in deal, hopefully by the end of it. Okay, so that's an interesting structure. I'd love to dig into that. Um, but uh, beforehand, Bronwyn, I'd like to bring you back into the conversation in terms of the alternative. Yes. Yeah, sure. I mean, working with other people's money has been really uh, critical for us in the first 12 months, really. So, so finding investors, friends, family, people, colleagues, you know, anyone who might be interested in, in perhaps benefiting. And that's, that's the point. Can they benefit from my knowledge and get a better return than if they left the money in the bank? So that's very much the approach that I, I took early days. Um, and then we've done some more, you know, once you, once you do something, even if it's just a cash flow loan for six months, you know, you're building trust with that person and then they get more interested. So um, I think one of the more interesting ones we did was a conversion of a, of a house to six flats. And that was a special purpose vehicle, SPV. Um, we brought investors in as joint venture partners, um, but we were doing all the work and, and they were the ones putting the money in. And then the plan was to sell the flats at the end of it. Now, that there's quite a big case study around this. If anyone's interested, I'm happy to share that with them. But, you know, the great thing there was that they were investors that had invested with us maybe once before and then one of those investors brought another investor in with him. So their network is fantastic. But, you know, in a JV, you're sharing risk. So it's a very different situation than a straightforward loan to you personally. Uh, and, you know, there's all sorts of things you've got to be aware of. FCA regulations, are they high net worth, sophisticated lenders, uh, sophisticated investors? And so, you know, you do have to be wary of that when you're borrowing from other people. Um, but this six flat, uh, yeah, it, was, um, it wasn't straightforward. It was always complicated. They always are. There are delays. There are issues. But, you know, 
when you've got investors that can come around and come and view it and maybe look up, one of them looked after the bank account. He was an accountant. So I said, great, you look after the bank for us. <laughs> you pay the bills. We'll get them involved. Then, you know, that worked really well. And um, yeah, so we, I think, you know, with a complicated project like that, you've got to, you've got to pull it together as an investor pack so that you've got something to give to a potential investor so that they can see what, the ins and outs are and the risks um so that's probably one a more complicated example of what we've done right i'd say i mean i think you know everyone's giving uh, some really good examples about um i'm going to use the phrase and then i'm going to give you a view about it and i, I want to see your reactions as i use the phrase which is uh, using other people's money all right so um using other people's money sounds very cold heartless ruthless impersonal to me but we know what we mean by that, right? We're, we're utilizing other people's financial resources for a win-win outcome. I think the other point was kind of came out. And, it, and it's also about relationship. It's also about, you know, giving something back to the other party and getting some kind of involvement. It doesn't necessarily have to be writing the checks or processing the bank payments, but, you know, just being part of something. So um, would you just take us into that direction, using other people's money? What do we think, you know, is it about using money or is it about something else? Come on, let's build on that theme a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think initially, um, I mean, when, when you mentioned that, I think the first few times we did it, when we'd kind of run out of money, we, we've um, leaned on family members and offered them a return. It did almost seem like, a, like almost we'd failed or it was, as you say, a bit of a dirty way of saying it, a dirty word, you know, we've... We're using other people's money. What are we doing wrong? But once you get your head around the concept, and I think as Bronwyn said, you are offering a service. You know, people. Some people like to learn. Uh, so you, you know, it's, it's amazing when you you go to sites, uh, even on just a buy to let refurb, the things that they've not seen before. So there's there's an educational part of it. Some people just like uh, you know like their return at the end of the year. Um, it, you're offering a service, and it's. It, as you say, they can be as interested as not as uh, as they want to be, really. Um, so yeah, it's well. I, I, once you get over it, it's 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 a good thing for everyone, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. One of my JV partners had a, a like a lump of cash sitting there, nicer. It was earning I, I don't know what it was earning, like one one and a half percent, something like that. I think major. So only too happy to um, to loan it to me and to go 50-50 on a project. And I, I haven't worked out exactly what. The income has been on that, but it's a lot more than he was earning on his ISA. So it's a win-win for, for everybody, really. Yeah, I think the important thing when you're talking to investors is is, is never really to ask for money. Um, it's more about what is it that they want and need and what are they interested in? You know, and if they're, if they're not interested in property and they think property is really risky, you know, it's unlikely that they're going to want to be involved. But the ones where their eyes light up, and I had a gas service engineer as one of my investors, you know, he actually stopped his job on my boiler and he said, oh, you're doing property. I'm really interested in property. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, you know, he became, he's, he's now a really good JV investor with me, but, you know, it took a couple of years to get to that point where doing a JV was potentially doable for him, but, you know, fantastic. You know, it's just, it's a real win for the other person. And that's the way to look at it rather than thinking, oh my goodness, you know, it's a big responsibility as well, but you're actually, you know, they're actually benefiting from your knowledge. And that's, that's, that's the great thing. 
Yeah, it's just to dwell on that. I mean, it's come out a couple of times now from a couple of you. And, you know, I phrase it, you know, uh, let me let me just put it this way. I remember somebody once saying to me um, uh, something on the lines of, but I'm, I'm putting all the money in, so I'm taking all the risk, you know, uh, and, or words to that effect. And I was like, well, it's not actually like that. You know, um, there's there's an awful lot of value that I'm bringing to the to the party. If if that person's bringing all of the money, that's got a value. But the contacts, the deal, the know-how, you know, actually managing it, you know, the delivery, safeguarding their their best interest, there's, there's the network that I've got, etc., etc., etc. I'm sure ever I can see people nodding as I'm sort of relaying that. So there's a value beyond money. There we go. That's the end of part one, sort of on a cliffhanger. I, I when I've actually done the edit, there's uh, I go in to t- start talking about part two, and I was thinking, no, no, I need to save that for the second part. So uh, you won't know what I'm talking about until you listen to part two, of course. But many, many thanks, obviously, to uh, Anthony, to Dominic, Nana, and Bronwyn, who joined me on the uh, panel for this discussion. And it's really interesting to get other people's insights, um, not only because. They have slightly different perspectives at times, but also they have some similar points of view at times. And it's it's really interesting to hear the differences and also similarities. And then that started to come out in part one of this conversation. And I think you'll find it will come out more in part two. So we talked a bit about, you know, the, the sort of more institutional finance and some of the alternative financing. And let's face it, it's more interesting as we get into more the alternative and the creative financing. And uh, I think one of the cues was that get a good broker, basically. Get a good broker and then you can access most of the institutional financing options and find out what they are um, that way. But some of the unspoken stuff is around alternative and creative. So we're getting to the juicy bits now and I've probably left you uh, hopefully wanting more. So please come back next week and listen to some more as we pick up part two of this conversation, this panel conversation around finding funds. So the show notes are going to be over the website, thepropertyvoice.net. So you can find that along with links to some of the resources that I've mentioned and some of the uh, social media links for for our panellists. So you'll find those there. And equally, if you'd like to talk about anything from today's show uh, or or have an introduction to any of the panellists, you can always drop me an email, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. I'd be delighted to hear from you and obviously make any introductions that are perhaps necessary or that you'd like. But I guess all that remains to be said uh, this week is thanks very much for listening once again to the Property Voice podcast this week. And until next time, it's Jack. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.